Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We have been looking at the truth of 2 Corinthians chapters 2 through 5. Uh, and as we looked at those verses, uh, we've been using an image to help us remember it, and that's the image of a fishing trip. Now, if, if all of us in this room right now were to gather up and go on a fishing trip, we're all to, to go and get in buses and drive to Texoma, um, we, you would want to stop at your house and pick up a few things before we left. You'd want to gear up because fishing is a, is a, a hobby that requires a lot of gear. And so you, you would want to stop and get things like your fishing poles and You'd want to get things like a, a tackle box or a tackle bag, and you'd want to get, you know, different lures, and, you know, this one apparently is, is stuck, so we'll just take my word for it. There's a lure down here. And, you know, you, you would get all this gear together, and you would take it to the lake for your fishing trip. Uh, you know, I, we, we've talked each week about how absurd it would be to go to all of the effort of driving to the lake and to go all the effort of gathering this stuff, but then to spend your entire time at the lake, not fishing, but sitting on the dock organizing your gear. That would be absurd to do on a fishing trip. And we've drawn as a parallel uh, that story to the Christian life. And in the Christian life, Jesus calls us to be fishers of men. He calls us to a life of ministry and service to others. And he does more than just call us to that task, but he equips us for that task. He equips us with his spirit within us. He equips us with community. He equips us with his word. He equips us with spiritual gifts. And, and God goes to all of the trouble to equip us for the task of fishing. How absurd it would be for us as believers in Christ to spend all of our time organizing the things that God has given us and never actually employing them for the purpose for which he gave it, without ever fishing. And so in 2 Corinthians 2 through 5, we find inspiration to actually engage in ministry and service to others. And if we're already engaged in that task, to not give up and to not quit. And we've seen four sections of this uh, passage of Scripture so far, and we're going to look at the next one today, the, the fifth part in our series. Uh, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 to 10. Uh, but before we look at those verses today, uh, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather right here at Wildwood together. Father, you are a good God, and you have gone before us. You have been at work in each heart in this room before they ever walk through the door. And so, Father, we're not beginning something, we're continuing what you're doing. And Father, it's not us, but it's you. And so, Father, I just pray that you would guide our time to reveal to us what you want us to hear. And Father, I pray that we would hear from you today and not from me, and that you would protect me from saying anything that you wouldn't want said. But Father, if I do say something you wouldn't want said, I pray that it would quickly be forgotten. But Father, the words that I share today that are your words and your truth for us, I pray that we would see them, we would hear them, we would remember them, we would believe them, and we would apply them within our lives, that we might be shaped more into the image of your Son. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, are there any reality television fans out there? 
Anybody like to watch reality TV? There's, there's only like three brave souls. Either that or I'm, I'm getting ready to use an illustration that's going to be totally lost on this group. Um, reality television kind of took off a few years ago, right? Uh, it took off because maybe a writer's strike or something like that. I don't remember exactly. But I think the reason why it's had some staying power is it helps to communicate the human condition a little bit. Yeah, it's over the top. And yeah, some of it's, you know, trash and worthless. But to, to a large degree, it helps show us a mirror of the human condition a little bit. And in one show that really taps into some of the longings of the human heart is this show, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Uh, have you ever seen this show? Believe it or not, it's been on six years now on ABC, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, where they went several years ago and they hired Ty Pennington away from Trading Spaces, right? And uh, they asked him to come in and they gave him a big budget and they gave him tons of volunteers and they said, in one week, you're going to totally transform the house of one needy family. So that they go away on vacation for a week, they come back and suddenly they've got a palace to live in where previously it was maybe a mobile home or, or something that had some serious, some serious issues. And you know, when, when that family would come back from that week, they would send them to the Disney World, they'd send them to the beach, whatever. When that family would come back, they would ride up in a limousine out in front of the house and blocking their view from the limo to their, to their house would be this giant bus and they would get out of that limo and they would stand there and they would be looking at this bus and after all of the fanfare and the drama and all that stuff, they would holler out what? You have seen this show, see? There's like two people that said they watched reality TV and everybody in here in unison with no prompts moves the bus. I, I'm never trusting you again, all right? Um, we've got a clip. Let's, let's see if we can see this, uh, this, this clip that if you haven't seen the show, will help place this in context. I was fighting it, it was like I could not believe it. 
Great. Okay. If you haven't seen the show, that's the most powerful two minutes of the show, right? Uh, this, this triumphal moment where they move the bus and they reveal this transformed house. Uh, the reason why I show that to you guys today is I think that that moment, that moment of going from a falling apart home to this magnificent place uh, is something that each of us as believers in Christ will experience one day. And we find our our promise for that in the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 to 10. And and we're going to look at those verses today and we're going to find not only that event described where the bus is moved, But we're also uh, going to find out why that is a motivation for us to not forget the fish. Uh, So if you've got a Bible, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The first 10 verses. We're going to read it through one time, and then we'll back up and look at it a little more in depth in in two movements uh, to find out what this passage has to do with our lives. Second Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, says this. It says, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith and not sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due Him, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. See, in those ten verses, We get a picture of our future, and we also get an encouragement to continue in ministry. We're going to see two things uh, that we we see there. The the first thing that I want us to see is this. We need to believe that one day the bus will be moved. We need to believe one day the bus will be moved. Uh, We see this in the first five verses of 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, Paul begins that section, and he says... Now, we know if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. See, in in that verse, Paul is talking about a moment in the future when there's going to be, for every person who trusts in Christ, this triumphal moment where the bus is moved and they're going to go from one residence to another. He describes the residence that 
we're in right now, the residence that he was living in, and, and speaking of his, his body, his, the very body in which he was living, he calls it in 5.1 an earthly tent that will be destroyed. He talks about the place where he currently lives. He talks about it as a tent that will be destroyed. What do you know about tents? Tents are not permanent dwellings, are they? Tents are temporary. Tents are a place where you go and you spend a time, and whether it's in you know, the Wichita Mountains or the Wachitas or, or wherever you go camp, but you go and you set up a tent and you're in there for a season, for a time. You wouldn't want to live in the tent because it, the, the roof structure in it is not made to withstand F5 tornadoes, right? Uh, you wouldn't want to live in a tent because in the wintertime, it's hard to keep it warm enough. In the summertime, it's hard to keep it cool enough. A tent is a temporary apparatus that the wind and the weather can even seek to destroy. Paul described his, his body in which he currently lived was like an earthly tent that was heading towards destruction. Where he currently was residing right now was like a tent. This is a theologically loaded term because the, the term earthly tent is a term that is used of Jesus himself in John chapter 1 in verse 14. In uh, John 1 14, eventually I'll get there, uh, it says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Now the phrase there, and made his dwelling among us, is literally the phrase, and he tented among us. He tabernacled among us. The same phraseology that is used in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 of our earthly body as a tent was used of Jesus' body at the time of his incarnation, at the time that he came to the earth, said that Jesus humbled himself, he came to the earth, and he tented among us. He tabernacled among us. See, the idea is that the earthly tent is our physical body that we inhabit in this phase of our lives. Jesus had a physical body, and so do we. This physical body is where we currently reside. But the verse goes on to say that this physical body in which we currently reside will one day be replaced when the bus is moved for an upgrade, a better dwelling. He says it as a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. The idea is that we'll shed this tent that we live in right now and one day we'll take on a new body, a new heavenly body that is not encumbered with the same difficulties and strain and stress and, and, and illness and whatever that we have right now. One day we'll, we'll lose this tent and we'll be replaced with a better, upgraded, God-provided, eternal dwelling, something that's not made with human hands. Again, that, that phrase, not made with human hands, is another theologically uh, packed term. Jesus, in his earthly life, uh, talked about this, and at the time of his trial, others commented about what Jesus had said, and in Mark chapter 14, in verse 58, this is what it says. 
They're talking at his trial, and they said, We heard him, meaning Jesus, say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days we'll build another not made by man. Now, we know what Jesus was referring to was he was referring to his physical body. His physical body would be destroyed, and three days later he would be raised again with a new body that he describes as not being made by human hands, not being made by man. Jesus himself went from a tented body that was eventually killed to a not-made-by-man kind of body that would live on to into eternity glorified. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, lets us know that we, each of us as believers in Christ, will experience at one point that kind of an upgrade. That we will go from this broken down body to an eternal one. And that will happen in a glorious moment when the bus moves. When Jesus says, okay, now's the time for the big reveal. When you're going to be ushered from this life to that. And it's at the point of our death. At our physical death, we go from this life to that one. And we experience that kind of an upgrade. Now, knowing that your body will go from this kind of a body to that kind of a body ought to produce within us some longing for that kind of a body to arrive. I'm going to turn 36 this summer. When I get up in the morning now, and I'm I'm 36, I realize there are people in the room older than me, there's people in the room younger than me. If you're younger than me, know it happens sometime before you turn 36. If you're older than me, you're going, what's he complaining about? But at some point in your life... You get up in the morning and you're just stiff. You're just stiff. You know, you kind of limp around. You know, you start saying things like, I sure, I think I slept wrong last night. How do you sleep wrong? You know, but you get up and you're just stiff and you're sore. And, you know, my, my, my tendons and my legs don't work the way they used to. And I kind of, you know, slouch around the house. Knowing that, just that's the minor of minor things that we experience, right? Knowing just that, I would love to, to just upgrade that. Just right now, just, you know, pay in advance. Just get that part over with so that I don't have that pain. How much more so you think about all the other things that go along with living in a physical body in this, in this life. Some of you are struggling with cancer. Don't you long for the day that cancer is not an option anymore? Some of you struggle with recurring pain. Wouldn't you love to just say, you know, I'd love to just trade that out. No, no more pain and, and the physical pain is gone. Some of you are struggling with other parts of living in this body, things like misunderstanding and miscommunication between people that leads to to pain and difficulty and stress and strain. Wouldn't you love to just trade out that part? Wouldn't you love to just trade out the the part of, of wanting to know what's next in your life? Everybody in here, I'm convinced, is wondering what's next. What's next for the economy? What's next for our kids? What's next for uh, our marriage? What's next for uh, my job situation? What's next for whatever it is? Wouldn't you love to just not have that doubt? Wouldn't you love to just upgrade that portion of what it means to live in this life? If you're in ministry to others, wouldn't you love to just upgrade the, the, the disappointment and the pain and the sting and the difficulty? Wouldn't you love to just get rid of that stuff that goes along with being in this body? Wouldn't you love to get rid of the fatigue and the, and, the, and the tiredness? Knowing that the bus is going to move and this upgrade is coming, all of us ought to go, I prefer that. I prefer the upgrade. 
You know, the woman in the video, she's not going to say, you know what, I'd really like to live in, in my other house. Could you bring that one back? No, she's going to say, I can't wait to live in that house. You know what, if that's the way you feel, then you're normal. As a matter of fact, you're feeling what God wants you to feel. God describes our future dwelling to create a sense of longing within us for what comes next. And that longing for the future actually produces a groaning for today. Look at what it says in verses 2 through 4. Over and over again, it talks about the groaning that we experience day by day. It says in verse 2, Meanwhile, we groan, we long to be clothed. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up with life. There is a portion, when we talk about the topic of our future and about when the bus moves and the upgrade that comes to our life, we ought to be longing for that future and we ought to be groaning for our existence today. If, if those two things aren't happening, then we really don't understand what we're headed for. I don't know, when you were a, a kid, uh, if you ever had these thoughts, but a, a lot of people do. You know, I really hope that Jesus doesn't come back before I get married because I really would like to be married. I really hope that I don't die before I have kids because I'd really like to have kids. You know, having a family and, and having, um, you know, kids and all that stuff, those are wonderful blessings. Those are wonderful blessings. And, you know, there's, there's just, it's just a good, honest statement. I've said things like that. I'm sure you've said things like that. But you know what? If, if we really understood what was going to happen, if we really understood that when the bus moves, it's a comparison between a broken-down house and this beautiful home that has been created exclusively for you, then it ought to produce some longing for that and some groaning within our experience today. Now what's interesting in this, in this passage is he goes on to say in verse 5 a very interesting statement. He says, now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Now, the first thing I, I, I want to point out in that is, he says, now it is God who has made us for this very purpose. It's God who has made us to live in this tension of longing for the future and groaning in the present. Why has God created us for that purpose? We saw last week that the reason why we live in this earthen vessel, the reason why we experience the difficulty we experience right now, one of the reasons that God has for that is so that others might see the glory of God shining in the contrast of our difficulty. Part of being engaged in ministry to others is living in this fallen world that we groan within. God has created us for this very purpose. In context, I think that's what Paul is saying. But he goes on, he doesn't just say that we're created for this purpose, he also says, and that God has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Now, now what in the world does that mean? In what way is the Spirit's deposit within the life of a believer a, a comfort as we live within the tension? Well, it's, it's a lot of things, but I, w- I want to I point out one of them specifically for us today. When the Spirit comes to take residence, up residence within our hearts, what does the Spirit of God do? It produces fruit. The Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God takes residence up within our hearts, begins to produce fruit. 
begins to produce fruits of the Spirit, like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The the fruit of the Spirit comes that way. There's this, this, this feeling of comfort that God is with us that comes. And when you think of what the Spirit of God does when it comes to take up residence within our heart, it is really as though the interior designer for our grand remodel has already moved in. And as you trust in Christ and you live in this world right now in which we groan, we need to remember that the Spirit of God is at work within us remodeling our interior already. Where we used to experience anger and bitterness, we can experience forgiveness and love. Where we used to experience impatience and frustration, we now experience patience and self-control. Where we used to have nothing but miscommunication and banging our head against the wall in conversation with others, suddenly we begin to experience the Spirit of God doing things within us and in our communication and relationships with others that is beyond what we could have expected or done on our own. When the Spirit of God takes up residence within our hearts, it is as though the the future interior designer moves in and begins to remodel our inside. So that when the bus is moved and the exterior changes also, the remodel is simply complete. It isn't just begun. As you live out your life right now and you have these experiences where the Spirit of God is working within your lives, it is a reminder that God will one day complete the task. Isn't that awesome to think about? Isn't it awesome to think that the Spirit of God has begun a work in your heart that He one day will take into where your entire body, exterior, interior, the whole shooting match, spiritual and physical, all of it is going to be remodeled and reshaped and given an eternal dwelling made by God. That's where we're headed if we know Christ. We're headed towards that kind of extensive remodel. And the Spirit of God's work right now is a down payment. It's a start on the project that will one day be completed. Uh, The book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6, says this. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The interior designer moves into our hearts and begins the remodel that will not stop until our interior and exterior is completely redone. You see, as believers in Christ, we have this awesome thing to look forward to. And that is the moment when the bus will move and we will go from the broken down tent to the eternal dwelling. Now, now what do you do with that? How do you process that? Well, I mentioned earlier that part of what correctly understanding that and applying that and processing that is, is that it helps us to make sense of our groaning. Whether it's your physical condition or your relational condition or your spiritual condition or whatever it might be, whatever difficulties you're encumbered with right now. As you go through those things and you groan a little bit, Know that it is hard 
God created us for this purpose that we would actually go through some difficulty. You know, I, I think that part of what happens when people read Scripture is they begin to think, you know what, all these great promises and, and all these things that will ultimately culminate in eternity ought to make us so not care about our difficulty that we hop and skip and jump through every trouble that comes our way. The reality is that the Word of God says that we groan. We groan as we live in this world. We groan because we know there's something better. We groan because we know the project will eventually be complete. Part of how we respond is we understand why we groan. But the second thing is, we don't just groan. We groan with ultimate hope. We groan because one day we know that it will be better and it will be different. We need to remember that. The troubles that we experience are finite. One day they'll be wrapped up. That's something we need to remember as we go through this difficulty. But another thing that we need to remember is we need to remember that this, the interior designer is remodeling our lives as we speak. And, and as we experience that remodel, we need to, to, to praise God for it and see it as down payments on the project that will ultimately be completed in eternity. I want you to, to spend some time today or tomorrow or this week, just write down th three to five things that you have experienced in your life that are the, the product of what God has done. Just three to five things. Just, just write them down. Just, just think about what, what are three to five things that God has done. You know, whether it's, it's you, you might, you know, in the category of forgiveness, in the category of, of, of a character trait that is being developed within you, uh, res restoration with someone else, wh whatever it might be. Think about just three to five things. What has God done in your life? And write them down and thank Him for it and see them as the beginnings of the remodel project that's going on. You know, we, we're uh, uh, in the process of painting our living room right now at our house. If I roll up my sleeves far enough, you'd see the paint that is covered. I had to make sure it was clean from mid-wrist down. But, you know, we, we were, we're working on, you know, painting the interior of our living room and things right now. And you know what? As, as I walk in there, uh, when I come home from church today, the project won't be done. But every wall that's painted is a reminder that we're making progress towards the end. I spent my time yesterday uh, several times. I just would stop and go, wow, this is really cool. We're almost there. And then at one point, uh, my, my mother-in-law, who's, who's here uh, with us, who has been a great help in the project, uh, said, well, what do I do now? And I listed off like six things that needed to be done, like big things, you know. And she looked at me like, what in the world did I just ask for that I got, the, you know, everything back in return? And I, I thought, you know, there's a lot that's left to be done. But the walls that are painted are reminders that we're making progress towards the end. See the work of God in your life as part of the transformation that will not be complete until the bus is moved. First thing is to believe that one day the bus will be moved. But there's a second truth that's, that's really important to see, and that is what we see in verses 6 to 10. And in verses 6 to 10... Uh, we see this. We need to live our lives. We need to live out our lives knowing whose house we'll be in tomorrow. We need to live out today knowing whose home we're going to be in tomorrow. 
And we see that from verses 6 to 10. Just look at what it says. It says, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. In other words, Jesus is not physically present in front of us today. Yes, we're a part of the body of Christ here. And yes, uh, Jesus is meeting with us even this morning. But it's different today than it will be on that day. When John in the book of Revelation is, is tapped on the shoulder and ushered into heaven, he doesn't just see a collection of believers that remind him of the presence of Christ. He sees Christ. And in that way, Paul says, right now, I'm here, and I can't physically see Jesus the way I will one day. So in other words, as long as I'm here in this tent, I'm separated from Christ. But, he says, we live by faith and not by sight. In other words, if all I lived on was what I saw, I would conclude that I would never be with Christ. Because I'm going to live by faith in this instance. I'm going to trust that what the rest of Scripture says is true and that one day my ability to see Christ will greatly change. Verse 8. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Again, that's the longing for what's to come. He knows that when he hits the eternal dwelling made by God, not by human hands, at that point he'll be in the presence of Christ. And that's his preference. Verse 9, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. See, what Paul is saying there is, one day the bus is going to move and I'm going to move to this eternal dwelling. Right now I can't see Christ face to face, but one day when I'm in the eternal dwelling, I will see Jesus face to face. I prefer that scenario. And I believe, I'm living by faith and not by sight, I believe that one day that will actually happen when I'll be in the eternal dwelling and I'll see Christ face to face. Since that's the case, since I know one day I will see Christ face to face, I want to live my life now and then in a way that is pleasing to Him because I know that I'm going to see Him. And in verse 10, He gives this foreboding conclusion to believers in Christ, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. See, what what Paul was saying was, one day I will see Christ face to face. And at that point, I'm going to wish that my life had been lived on a trajectory that was doing the things that he was calling me to do. And in, in, our, in our full context of, of this whole section that we've been walking through, I, I think it, it, it helps it paint it a little more clearly for us. Uh, the, the first thing is that it helps us know that this is a passage that is directed towards Christians. You know, sometimes when we see statements like, one day we'll have to stand before Christ in judgment, we want to say, well, that must be referring to non-Christians, because in Christ... There is no condemnation, right? Romans 8, 1 is, is fully accurate. The same man who wrote this wrote Romans 8, 1. Same Spirit of God that inspired this inspired Romans 8, 1. Romans 8, 1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in, who are in Christ. 
So when we, we hear that, we think, well, for those who are in Christ, they must somehow not have to stand before Christ and give any kind of account for their life because that would be inconsistent with Romans 8.1. But I think that it's important for us to realize that Romans 8.1 is talking about a different kind of judgment before Christ, a different kind of condemnation. See, Romans 8.1 is talking about an eternal kind of consequence. Romans 8.1 would be saying that because we're in Christ, we can have all of our sins forgiven so that as we stand before him in judgment one day, God will look at us and will say, you knew my son and he fully paid for your sins. Welcome my child into heaven. Yes, you were a sinner, but Jesus fully paid for your sins. That's the condemnation that Romans 8, 1 is talking about, that is non-existent for the Christian. But 2 Corinthians 5, 10 is talking about a different kind of a moment. It's talking about the fact that one day all of us as believers in Christ will stand before Christ and will give an account, it says, for everything we have done in the body, whether good or bad. What is the good and what is the bad? Another way of saying this is that which is worthwhile and that which is worthless. We'll have to give an account for our lives for what we have done that has been worthwhile towards the purpose that God has placed us in the, in the world and that which we have done which is worthless. But we get a, a deeper understanding of this by looking at Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter number 3. beginning in verse 10. Again, this is another passage that is talking about ministry and, and service to others. And in, in second, or 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. Building here is his metaphor for ministry. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. I think that what that passage in 2 Corinthians 5.10 are referring to is that as believers, one day we will stand before Christ and have to give an account for how we fished. Now, I don't think that Jesus is going to say, how many converts did you have? I don't think he's going to say, how many hours did you put in in, in this ministry or that? Or, or that there's some kind of standardized setting, you know, no Christian left behind. We've got a test that we all have to take and we, we hope to achieve a certain level so that we hear certain words from Christ. I think it's all individualized. It's all based on His gracious offer and our steps of faith. But I think that the reality is that all of us as believers in Christ will have to stand before Him one day and give an account for how we have invested the gear that He has equipped us with for ministry. And it's not an evaluation that will determine whether or not we will be with him or without him in eternity. That's already taken care of in Christ. But it is an account that will, as it says in 1 Corinthians 3, there will be a reward or a lack of reward that will come because of it. 
See, ministry, Paul says, is not optional for the Christian. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Followers are fishermen. It's part of the package for us following Christ that he wants to use us in this world to spread his purposes and to share his love with others. And one day we'll stand before him. See, we, we love the fact that we're going to upgrade to the eternal dwelling. And really, when we think about it, it gets better. Because not only are we in the eternal dwelling, but we're in the, in the eternal dwelling with Christ. Face to face, we get to see him. But with that comes the responsibility of one day we'll have to say, this is how we have invested our lives for your sake, Christ. One day that time is coming. And so Paul says, knowing that that's coming... I'm going to spend my time, whether it's in this life or, or wherever, employing the things that you have given me for your purposes. That's a pretty powerful passage. That doesn't mean that everybody applies this by leaving and, and by uh, leaving this room and quitting your job and, and going into full-time ministry or becoming a missionary around the world in, in, in some kind of capacity. That, that's not what that means. Because it's all different for each of us. But, but it does mean that we, when we read this, we should remember that we need to go home and search our hearts. God, how do you want to use me in your world? How do you want to use me to reach those around me? with your love? Is there a ministry within the church that you want me to serve within? Are there people in my workplace that you want me to care for? Are there people on my block that you want me to get to know? How do you want to use me, God? That, that's, the, that's the application of this because one day we're going to see him face to face so we should live our lives now knowing that that's true. You know, several years ago, uh, my wife, uh, many of you know this, spent the summer in France, ministering with a group from Wildwood there. Uh, and uh, while she was gone, uh, we, we were apart for about eight weeks, seven, eight weeks, something like that. Um, I was here, she was there. Um, I knew that in eight weeks, I was going to see her. I knew that in eight weeks, we were going to be together again. And so I chose to live my life for those eight weeks, not like a bachelor single slob, um, but I chose to live my life those weeks as my wife's husband living in Oklahoma while she was in France. And so it caused me to do things. You know, you know what? I, I watered plants for those eight weeks. I don't normally water plants, all right? Uh, some people are, are great with stuff like that. I, that's, that's usually not. I water plants. Why did I water plants? Because I, my wife wanted the plants watered. She wanted them alive when she came home, and so I watered the plants. I knew I was going to see her. I knew she was going to ask me how the plant's doing. I watered the plants. I didn't eat just, you know, chili dogs and, and uh, Pringles the entire time she was gone. Why did I do that? Because I knew she was going to say, what have you been eating while I was gone? I didn't want to say chili dogs and Pringles, you know. Um, I don't know why I just said that. That's not even the best meal for me. But anyway, um, you know, whatever it is. You know what? I, I ate normal while she was gone because I knew I was going to see her on the back end of that time. I lived my life then knowing that I would see her in just a few weeks. You know what? As believers in Christ, we ought to live our lives now knowing that we're going to see him then. 
One day the bus is going to move and we're going to experience this upgrade. And when we do, we're going to enter the house where he is. Our lives should be lived out in light of that. I'll just end with one thing. You know, the Extreme Makeover Home Edition is an interesting show. But you want to know what? Those houses, as immaculate as they are, they start the downward spiral as soon as the people move in. You know what? The carpet that is put in is beautiful at installation. It gets stained later. The countertops that get put in that are are just, just gorgeous granite, you know, eventually end up with some kind of a problem. The plumbing will eventually leak, and at some point, someday, somebody, if, if the world tarries long enough, somebody's going to bulldoze that to build something else. The makeover that Christ has in store for us, though, is eternal. It's eternal. And I can only imagine what that'll be like. Let me, uh, let me pray. Father, thank you for today, and thank you for the time that you've given us to gather and to worship Father, I pray that you would just work within our hearts, that we would um, remember these truths and remember our future, and we would live today in light of that. Father, thank you for what you're offering us in Christ. Father, I pray that you would just be at work within our hearts, and any who are here today who have never placed their faith in you, that they might do so today so that they also might have the joyous moment when the bus is moved and they're ushered into eternity. And Father, for all of us, that we would live today knowing that we'll be with you tomorrow. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.